Welcome to the Institute of World Politics podcast. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. To learn more, please visit www.iwp.edu. My name is Chris Glass. For those of you all who don't know me, I'm the senior vice president here at the Institute. And if you don't know about the Institute, we're not a think tank. We are indeed a graduate university on national strategic studies and also intelligence tradecraft. We focus in on international relationships and the art of diplomacy, but also those facets of intelligence tradecraft, the elements that help uh, individuals to form not only a solid worldview, but specific abilities to, to craft uh, strategy and policy. So on behalf of the Institute, welcome. It's just great to have each of you all here this afternoon. It, it's my privilege to, to introduce uh, Brigadier General uh, Tuvari. Um, I've had the opportunity to get to know him over the last, uh, I guess, about six months. Uh, very good relationship and friendship. And uh, he has a very impressive uh, biography that I would really like to go through at, at this time, if you permit me. Uh, the general took over the defense attache office for the embassy of Finland in Washington on August the 1st, 2016. Uh, he's a native of Helsinki, Finland, and he has served in, in, he served from 1981 to 1982 as a uh, conscript, and he was then trained as a reserve officer. He then uh, started his studies in the Defense Forces Cadet School in August of 1983 and was commissioned through the cadet school in August 1985 as an armor officer. Hoorah. He has served as a tank platoon leader, tank uh, company executive officer and commander, chief of staff of a tank battalion, commander of the armor school, and a brigade commander. He's also served in different staff positions as the Senior Staff Officer, G23, Division of Military uh, Province, HQ, and, and in J3 and J5 Divisions of the Defense Command. The General's assignments abroad include a, a year as a Senior Staff Officer in G2 Division in the Nordic Polish uh, Brigade Headquarters, uh, I-4, uh, S-4 Forces, which was followed by three years in the Finnish embassy in Stockholm, Sweden, where he served as deputy defense attache from 2005 to 2007. And he was then assigned to U.S. Joint Forces Command in Virginia as uh, LNO. From 2010 to 2011, the general served in Afghanistan as the director of operations and chief of Afghan National Security Forces Development and Regional Command North Headquarters, ISAF. Before his current assignment, he served as the commander of the Armored Brigade, Brigade from 2011-2013, after which he took command of the Western Army Command until the end of 2014. From the beginning of 2015 to the spring of 2016, he served as the commander of the Guards Jaguar, if I said that correctly, Regiment and the Helsinki Garrison. His military education includes the Army Battalion Commander Course, the Finnish Defense Forces Command and General Staff College, Higher Command Course, and the National Defense Course. 
His decorations include the Cross of Liberty, second class, Order of the Cross of Liberty, Knight, first class, Order of the Lion of Finland, Medal for Military Merits, the NCO Associates Golden Medal of Merit, Infantry Cross, Armor Cross, NATO Medal for both I-4, S-4, and NATO Medal ISAF, the Commander, Order of the Northern Star for uh, Sweden, and the United States uh, Joint Service Commendation Medal. General, on behalf of all of us, and specifically the Institute, it is a pleasure to have you here this afternoon, and can we now welcome the General as he comes and addresses. is the biggest city in, in, in Russia with over 10 million people. 
second one is St. Petersburg, second biggest city in uh, in uh, Russia. Population about as big as Finnish population. Finnish population is 5.5 million. It's also a very important uh, military inter industrial co complex. Uh, they a lot of uh, most important uh, shipyards which build military uh, warships are there, and they have a lot of troops around there. And then of course Kola Peninsula up north, where they have the most capable navy, the Northern Sea, uh, Northern Sea, Northern uh, Sea Navy, which has most of its uh, nuclear capabilities uh, that uh, the navy has. And one thing is also that uh, the, from Gulf of Finland to Baltic Sea, and then there from there to west goes uh, the routes that Russia used to export its energy, oil and gas. And around 50% of the Russian government's income comes through, uh, through, through uh, uh, exportation of uh, gas and oil, and about 60-70% of that, well, close to 60% of that goes through Gulf of Finland. So it's a vital interest for Russia to safeguard those sea lines of communication. So this has always affected our planning. Our military planning has always been based on the fact that that uh, we have a capable neighbor, uh, sometimes not so aggressive, sometimes um, a little bit more aggressive, but it's always there, and you have to be prepared for that. Uh, we have had, last 900 years, about 34 wars and skirmishes with Russia. So we always knew that uh, Russia will be there, and they will be coming back, even they temporarily might be weak. And when you looked at the last years, uh, I said, Maneuvers like Sabat 17, which happens ha happens every three, four years, uh, where the Russia uh, practices its capabilities. The fact is that close to the Finnish border, there's not that many Russian troops, actually. You know, when I graduated in 1985 from the cadet school, uh, behind the Finnish border, there were 12 Soviet divisions, 15,000 men divisions. And from those 12 divisions, six were category A divisions, meaning that they had the six hours readiness to attack. It's meant that we were in six hours readiness. Uh, compared to that times, the troops we have close to our borders are much less, I saw them soon. But the fact is that Russia has created and, and worked very much on the capabilities to deploy forces within the Russian, Russian area through railways and by air very fast. So within a week, they can uh, deploy uh, much, uh, quite a, quite a big, uh, big uh, forces close to our borders if needed. And then uh, the H2AD bubble, as they call it, it's a big thing. Everybody talks about it, uh, capable Russian air defense, uh, surface-to-surface -surface missile systems, uh, which uh, might hamper, might hamper uh, operations close to the Russian areas of interest. We are living inside that bubble. We have S-400 system deployed uh, down south here and up, up north, Kolob Peninsula, and down, down south here we have also Iskander systems. So we are living in a bubble and we've learned to live uh, within the bubble. I mentioned the activities. We have something like eight, 800 military, uh, Russian military flights uh, flying through southern Finland to south or back annually. And it's been around the same level uh, since 2014, around 800. And every time the plane comes without uh, a flight plan or it comes without transponder, or both, which is about one third of those flights. We scramble our jets uh, to, to see that they stay on, on, 
international uh, airspace and don't incur to our areas. So we have every week uh, several uh, se several times that we scramble our F-18. F so when uh, when uh, Brits tell that, told that last year they had to send the Royal Air Force 26 times to look for the you know supervised Russian planes, we are like, well, that's nice. So it's a busy, busy area. And when you look from the Russian Russian uh, point of view, how the world is, that they have the northern fleet, military brigade up north, with uh, two army brigades and naval infantry brigade. They have the sixth army close to our borders. Then they have the combined arms army against uh, against uh, Ukraine, and first tank army around Moscow. Uh, if there's a conflict between uh, NATO and uh, and uh, Russia, and if Russia wants to take Baltic seas, Baltic, the Baltic states, the fact is that you have to, in order to secure your operations, you have to secure the northern shore of the Gulf of Finland, where we happen to live. That's for sure. So if there's a conflict, military conflict in the Baltic Sea area, it's more or less impossible for Finland to stay neutral. Which is interesting because uh, we are a military non-allied country. We are not neutral. We are a member of uh, EU. Uh, we follow the EU's uh, joint uh, joint uh, security and foreign policy. And for example, when you look at the sanctions towards Russia, we follow them through fully. Uh, so we are not neutral in this, uh, in this uh, recent conflict between West and West and East. We are definitely on the EU side, but we are military non-aligned, which causes some some challenges. Well. Since we are military non-allied and we are supposed to defend ourselves, we have uh, created the Defense Force, which we think is pretty good. But we also see that, especially nowadays, defending nation is not Defense Force business. It's a national business. And, and we have this, we call it total defense uh, concept, which we have had ever since Second World War. Uh, many countries, most, most countries uh, during the Cold War had something similar. That's normal. It means that the civilian society is ready to participate in the war effort. So it means that, that all the militaries and civilian authorities uh, have also wartime tasks, meaning that they safeguard uh, the critical infrastructure, they safeguard the population, etc. in time of crisis. They have a civil defense forces and plans to conduct that if needed. The difference is that when the Cold War ended, practically everybody Scrap that system, and it's gone. We didn't. Uh, for say traditional for two reasons, maybe traditionally seeing that well something might still happen when you are living next to Russia, and second, we Finns are never too fast to take new ideas. Like, well, let's see, let's see, let's let's wait thirty years and then we think about it. So we still have this system. It means that we have a, we have a strategy how to defend the whole nation and, and vital functions of uh, our, our nation so that all the authorities have a planning for that, uh, they, they practice for that. We have, for example, still by law, if you build a block of flats, high house in Finland with uh, uh, bigger than certain size, you have to build a bomb shelter to the, to the basement of the, uh, to that building by law. So, for example, in Helsinki, where we have about 500,000 people, we have 
about 600,000 uh, room for 6,000 people on shelters. You know, you have these huge parking garages under 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 the uh, shopping malls, etc. They are all also uh, ready for bombing as a bomb shelters. So we have this ongoing. We are practicing it all the time, uh, and we also take care of the uh, resilience against uh, populations' minds and feelings. However, you see info warfare. So we put a lot of effort to educate our people. We have a pretty good education system. Uh, nowadays, we have put in, in elements where we teach kids to read the news so that they would recognize fake news or be skeptical about anything they see on the news and check the background before they start to believe, believe it, uh, uh, etc. So some people, that, there are some studies done in Western Europe and they claim that Finland is the most resilient country in Europe. I can believe it. As I said, we have a long history and we never let the re the, that readiness go down. It's being kept up. Another reason, of course, is that, that we have a national conscription system. So we, we have, uh, everybody has a bidding, more, almost every, every family has, a, has, has a very interest in defense because uh, they have family members who are part of our reserves. And then, of course, I have to be honest, one thing with that makes it easy is that Finland is probably the most homogeneous country in the world. You know, we have 95% of the population is Finns. Uh, very few uh, foreigners or immigrants in Finland. I always think that it must be either the weather, the food, or the Finns, or the combination of all these three. <laughs> and you compare it to, for example, Sweden, where the population of 10 million, they have 1.8 million immigrants uh, in the country. So almost 20% of the population is coming some, some somewhere somewhere else, so it's much easier to to have this resilience uh, when everybody is more or less with the same background. And as I mentioned, uh, we have the national 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 service system still. About seventy six percent of the manual population serve. About three to four percent take the civil service, and then the rest are are free uh, and peacetime due to due to physical or mental problems they have. About three to 5% of females serve on a voluntary basis. We have, from the population of 5.5 million, we have 1.2 million who are under 60 years of age. And from those, uh, those people, and uh, we have 900,000 who are obliged to serve in our, our defense forces needed. They are in our reserves, 900,000. We actually use only one third of that, but if case needs be, we can call in people not only to serve in the defense forces, but also to serve in, in, a, in a civil defense or whatever else. And we have a very strong willingness to defend the country. Last, last poll said that 78%. We asked people that if Finland is attacked, uh, attacked, should we take armed resistance even though the end result is uncertain? So we are telling them that, you know, being a small nation attacked, it doesn't necessarily go well. Still, 78% says that yes, we should do it. That's highest in highest in Europe. Next is Russia, about 20 points uh, below us. In Germany, 18% people, 18% of the people think that they should defend. They would be ready to defend the country. And Finnish Defence Force is uh, is all also a very trusted institution. We always compete with police. We are the two 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 top ones when they ask this. Uh, we are around 90% police, about 92%. And as in the United States, the parliament, the politicians are pretty low there. <laughs> Too bad. 
Well, this is the defense forces in peacetime. We have a defense command, which is the highest, highest military, uh, military HQ. And they have certain agencies and establishments. We are directly, directly under, under defense command, like Finnish Defense Intelligence Agency, for example, Finnish, uh, Finnish Logistic, uh, Logistic Agency, and so on. Then we have free services with number of, uh, of uh, units underneath. But the thing is that this is a training organization. Our Navy and Air Force are capable of getting their capabilities up and running with the peace type personnel. We can get all the F-18s up and, up and fighting. And Navy can get all the ships out to sea and start fighting uh, with the personnel they have in. If the conflict continues, uh, they need the reserves to have the support and continued operations for weeks and weeks, for weeks. Army is totally, totally reserved and, uh, and it requires mobilization. The only part in army we have is our special forces and our army aviation units, which can uh, start operations with the peacetime, peacetime personnel. Everything else has to be mobilized, which is a bit of a challenge in, in time of snap exercises and rapid deployments close to your borders. So all we you talk about 10,000 active per, uh, uh, paid personnel, officers, NCOs, and civilians. We train about a little over 20,000 conscripts every, uh, every year and about the same number of uh, reserves. But our wartime strength is 280,000, and in European terms, that's a lot. It's, it's, uh, the Russian Federation's armed forces are about 800,000. They tried to go, go to million for, for one and a half decade, but they haven't been able to recruit enough people to do it. Our, our wartime army is second biggest in Europe, right after Turkey. So this is our wartime troops. So army is the biggest. We always, uh, the Finnish Defense Force is, is dominated by army. Army has been the biggest service. Always, we have a saying that in, in, in Finnish Defense Forces that the Air Force has the most intelligent officers, the Navy has the most handsome officers, much better uniforms, and the Army has the most officers. So wartime army is 185,000 troops, uh, which are divided into three different categories. We have our operational forces, around 36,000, a uh, couple of uh, motorized and mechanized brigades, uh, battle groups, mechanized and motorized battle groups. They are it's more or less half, half a brigade, 2,500 uh, soldiers each, uh, and, and supporting capabilities. These are equipped with best equipment, equipment, and they are capable of conducting operations, mobile operations, all over Finland. Then we have something we call regional forces, around 108,000. Uh, and these forces have heavy firepower. We have a lot of artillery, mines, whatever, but they don't have the operational mo mobility. They have tactical mobility. But buying tanks and, and competing free vehicles and all that stuff, it's ex pretty expensive. So we can equipment. They they have they can uh, they are uh, regionally aligned so that they can fight in a certain areas, uh, defensive fight if needed. And then we have something called local forces, which we use to support local uh, local, local authorities, mainly in the rear areas, uh, guard vital installation and so and so on. Light, light infantry mostly, little like the other Nordic countries have home guard, which is light, light infantry volunteer forces, a bit same idea. And then we have border guards. Uh, border guards in peacetime are under the Ministry of Interior. It's a police organization or paramilitary organization. 
they have police authorities, but they organized as military unit, military organization, and they actually all officers are trained by defense force. Time of crisis, they have their own wartime organization. They have own conscript training. And time of crisis, uh, uh, the whole border guards or part of it can be can be attached to uh, defense forces if needed. They have great capability in the border areas because they are very good in in rec and, and special operations, which they practice a lot. Then we have talking about the equipment. You know, 185,000 is a lot, uh, but we have also some equipment to equip them. And things which, for example, to compare, we have about 200 main belt tanks. It's about the same amount of main belt tanks than France has. France has a population of 65 million. We have 5.5 million. It's a sad story, uh, not our, about our strength, but the weakness of West Europe, Western Europe nowadays. We have heavy artillery, like 800 pieces. We have about three or four times more artillery than France has. We still believe that we will fight as an underdog, and if you fight an underdog, you have to have a very good uh, ground-based air defense capabilities, and we have that a lot. Nowadays, when we are talking about the U.S. Army, is cranking it up because it was more or less uh, phased out uh, during the Cold War times, when, when there was no, no need uh, for air defense, when you have the air security. Now things have changed, so we have kept that. Things like mines. When you talk about mines and IEDs, yes, we love them because we are always trying to be defender. So, for example, anti-tank mines, which uh, a big part of them are intelligent mines. So you have calcula calculators, different sensors, what, what not. Uh, you take the 13, uh, 1300 kilometer long border, we have more than one mine per each meter, just anti-tank mines. So coming to Finland and invited is not necessarily easy. Then we have the Navy and Air Force. The Air Force, the main, the main capability is 62 F-18 uh, D version uh, Hornet fighters, uh, which we have now done them to a midlife update. And in that midlife update, we created them air-to-ground capability. So we have JSO, JDAM, and, and, and last month we had the final, final test shooting with JASM systems in China Lake. So now we have a trusted system also operational, which is a great capability. Great capability. Our Navy is based a small coastal Navy. Uh, they have missile boats uh, with surface, surface missile missiles. They have mine layers. They have mine countermeasure ships. And then a lot of coast, coastal, coastal units, meaning coastal infantry battalions and battalion groups and, and coastal uh, defense systems, mainly missile systems. Our Navy's two main weapon systems are sea mines. We again plan to lot, use a lot of sea mines to protect our sea lines of communications and stop, uh, prevent anybody to access our harbors with our permission, and then surface to surface missile systems. And then we have some joint capabilities in logistics and intelligence and so on. And then I claim that we have the best uh, defense, defense forces and defense capabilities in, fin in, in Northern Europe. Well, when you compare the other Nordic countries, Sweden has a total force of uh, 28,000 uh, Army, Navy and Air Force soldiers and 22,000 Home Guard. The Army has two brigades, 120 Leopard tanks, out of which they have crews for three companies, 40, 44 tanks, because they went to professional, professional Army and they just can't hire people to 
served in the professional army. It's a, it's a Nordic, Nordic state with high, very high uh, standard of living and very good social welfare. It's not easy to get people to serve. Navy, Air Force, Norway and Denmark, about the same ballpark. They have about 17,000 17, uh, troops in Army, Navy and Air Force, and uh, stronger Home Guard. But Home Guard, as said, it's a light infantry unit. It's got more, both countries has one um, one army brigade. Uh, the navies are pretty strong because they are by the sea and they have Denmark, for example, because Greenland is part of Denmark, so they have some bigger ships to go out. out. Air Force uh, from 30 to 50, 52 uh, F-16s. So yeah, we have a lot of more capabilities. But I think the biggest thing is not only only the size of the forces, because these two guys. They have to be NATO members, and if nothing else, they uh, nothing else. They they are uh, living under the uh, nuclear umbrella of NATO and the United States. But the biggest thing for Finland is that we have kept the resi resilience. We still have the total defense system, so that so that we have a readiness to go war war if need. We, for example, still uh, uh, stockpile gas, oil, wheat strategic spare parts and stuff like that for six months. And I always, always, always tell, tell now total defense courses to our civilians that uh, in time of, time of war, if somebody cuts our sea lines of communication to west, that's a challenge because 90% of our exports and imports go through sea to west, go and come uh, uh, from west. Uh, I'm not worried about, as I said, gas and oil and stuff like that. We have stockpiled for six months. But if the sea lines of communications are cut, we run out of coffee in one week. And after that, defense forces start to have trouble. <laughs> we drink more coffee than anybody else in the world, about 20 pounds per person per year. Um. Yeah. So uh, we, are, we are strong, but again, we can't fight alone. We know that. Uh, Finnish society is a, it's a, it's like all the Western societies, it's very vulnerable. And, and needs constant global trade uh, to work. Our idea in the defense is that you need two things. You need to have the capable reserves and big reserves because we have a big land area. We are fifth biggest uh, European nation by land area. So we have big area to def defend and with small population, you have to have large reserves through national conscription system. But on the other hand, in the, in the current battlefield, that's not enough. You need to have some spare capabilities so that you can also fight a modern fight. That's in our case, our air force with air to air and air to ground capabilities, our navy with the with the best capabilities, and also army with the special operation forces. With the, we, for example, have MLS systems, the uh, the rocket launcher systems from the United States. We have as many as UK with capabilities uh, up to 160 kilometers depth, and we are looking to have even longer longer strike capabilities. We participate in, uh, in operations. This current situation last year, we have about 600 troops outside in operations. Main operations are in Iraq. We have about around 110 in OER, and then in Afghanistan, about 30. And then in Lebanon, uh, we have a battalion minus. minus. Uh, we are going to throw troops from Lebanon and put more troops to Afghanistan and, and Iraq in the near, new, near future. But if you look in the back in the history, if we would be a NATO, NATO nation, I've been 
twice in NATO operation. And if you would, Finland would be NATO, NATO operation and you compare it to our population and how many troops we sent out, we would be one of the biggest troop contributors in NATO, to NATO operations. So we have done it ever since 1990s from war. Well, how to keep yourself up and running and, and capable and relevant also in the future. So we have development, progr development programs. We have a, a white paper, government gave a white paper, uh, white paper uh, February 2017. It comes every four years. And you have new government. The new government makes a white paper about the defense, defense, uh, how to build up the defense for the next eight years. And then you ask, ask you know, what's the big idea? Government sits four years and then they talk about defense next eight years. Well, the thing is that uh, one peculiar, peculiarity of Finland is that we have a lot of parties. We have about 10 parliamentary parties, uh, four bigger ones and half a dozen smaller ones. And in every government, every government is a coalition government with three to five uh, parties. So it means that after the next elections, there will be one or more parties who were in opposition, who were in the government, who will be also in the new government. So that gives our continuation because when they go to next next government, they are not going to say that, well, the decisions we made last year were very, very stupid on defense. So that gives our continuity. The last uh, 2017 white paper very clearly said that we will increase our wartime strength. It used to be 230,000, now we pushed up to 280,000. We improve readiness all, all, of all services, as said. Uh, we used to have six hours readiness during the, after the Cold War ended. We really scrapped that as many, many uh, all the other nations. But now we are bring, uh, boosting it up to be again back in, in the readiness, which is hours, not days. Uh, we have to replace some capabilities that we are, we are losing through the aging of the systems. And the main emphasis is on the army. In this decade, we are, we are uh, working on the army. And then next decade, it's a Navy and Air Force capabilities we will renew. And then enhance certain capabilities like intelligence, uh, joint and, and uh, joint fires and long-range precision engagement capabilities, and then cyber, cyber de defense. But the readiness thing is very important. As said, uh, Russia can deploy, let's say, in, 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 within a day, they can deploy 20 to 30,000 troops uh, close to our border. Within a week, they can have up to seven to eight brigades and, and more force, forces following. So uh, creating a better readiness is a big thing. And one thing is that uh, when you're talking about the Western democratic, democratic nation, it's all about laws. You know, unfortunately, the guys behind the border don't follow any laws or rules or regulations. They don't have to, we have to. So in order to improve our capabilities, not, not only to be faster, to faster, faster in mobilization, but also better uh, in facing the hybrid threats we have nowadays. Uh, we have put a lot of effort on legislation and things. We have created, in order to be better prepared, we have created a certain readiness uh, forces from our active service officers and NCOs. And these are mainly for hybrid cases. You have, I don't know, uh, uh, Little green men coming in, uh, and, and, in and in the big, big, big beginning, uh, before we have uh, a wartime situation, and actually by law it's still a police case, but the police doesn't have the firepower, so we have to have have to be able to deploy something within hours with heavy firepower. So we use our active personnel, but every single officer and NCO in in our system is also a wartime leader. Everybody is a minimum platoon leader, company commander, battalion commander. 
So we can't tie them up for the, those tracks. Therefore, we have created another readiness for from conscripts. Every Finnish army unit nowadays have a, have a company plus unit where everybody serves a year. So that six months is a training phase. And after that six months, they are then six months in readiness. Training, of course, continuing so that we can get uh, the mobilized within hours. And then we have created some readiness forces from the reserves so that we have certain reserve units can be deployed from six to 24 hours. They are mobilized and ready to go. Uh, and then hiring is to mobilize, meaning that we are, we are exercising and putting more effort to get the whole, whole field army uh, mobilized within weeks. And, and seeing how long it takes to mobilize nowadays to NATO professional armies, it's sad. You know, they are talking about having 30, 30 battalion task groups uh, mobilized in 30 days. In 30 days, we have all 208,000 guys, guys and girls in readiness. Uh, easily. But the legislation is another thing. We have done, uh, put a lot of new legislation to give more powers to the president, for example, to mobile, mo uh, start mobilizing troops without declaring war. Uh, more longer training, training times for our, our reserves, new legislation and powers for uh, police and border guards, and more powers for us to give them support if needed. Uh, and uh, more new military intelligence legislation giving us more powers, especially in the, in the cyber domain, and, and so on and so on. And this has been a very, very important part of, of our readiness, and it's also a great big sign we give to our neighbors that we are taking these matters seriously because we are creating new laws that gives uh, the authorities different kind of powers to face also hybrid threats. And when you are talking about hybrid threats, I have to say that uh, in my opinion, the current days, the Russians are much more dangerous than the old Soviets. Uh, I think that Soviet Union has been always much better in art of war. They created the idea of art of war and operational warfare well before anybody invest even thought, thought about it. They came with the maneuver warfare and, and, and deep, deep fights and all that much before the Germans came in, in 1930. But the thing that always have saved us was that they were never able to build and train a, a massive army which could do all those great ideas that the brainiacs came up with. They couldn't fight the way they wrote. So we always want a tactical fight, and especially in the Finnish terrain, that's um, very important. Well, now they have created a new way of warfare where they have a great idea about hybrid warfare where you wage the war, and they have waged that war now many years without going to kinetics. You don't need to go kinetics. You don't need to have forces. And if you really need to have, then use force, you need only 20 to 30,000 guys, like in Crimea. And even though they can't afford, they can't even recruit a million man, man army nowadays, but they can create 20 to 30,000 guys in, on the Western, Western or close to Western standards. So they have much more options to work and they are much more agile, aggressive, and much more bigger threat than the old Soviet Union time uh, system used to be, at least from our point of view. Well, when we are dealing with capabilities in the army side, this decade, as I said, uh, we are putting most effort to army. We want to create better joint capabilities so that the army is better able to, to use the capabilities of Air Force and Navy, and also to support the digital, digital combat system, ISR and, and fires, 
a lot of effort to, to partnership with uh, our neighbors because it doesn't matter if you are the world's best Finnish army. You, you know, if you don't benchmark uh, what you know and what you do and you learn from the others, others. Uh, mechanized forces, force protection and counter UAV are some, some things we are doing and to operate in all do domains, including cyber. Big things are happening next decade. Uh, our F-18s are getting old. By uh, mid-20s, we have to start replacing the F-18 fleet. And the government made a decision that the fighter planes will be replaced. We estimated to cost between 8 and 10 billion US dollars, and that will come outside the defense budget. It was an important uh, decision. And on the Navy, uh, Navy side, same thing. A lot of Navy ships uh, are getting older, and they will replace the, those capabilities with the new Corvette class for four Corvette Corvettes costing about with weapon systems close to two billion, and again, it's coming outside the defense budget. However, the upkeeping of these systems is not going to come outside the defense budget. So when we buy something, we have to be very careful that we don't buy anything that the maintenance upkeeping will kill us next ten years. Uh, the Corvette system, I said, four Corvette Corvettes. Uh, they are actually three thousand. 3,000 ton corvettes with fregats firepower. The Finnish Navy has always been good in squeezing a lot of, a lot of firepower to small frames. So it will have surface surface missiles, uh, air defense missiles, torpedoes, mines too, and sauna. Every Finnish uh, warship has a sauna inside, believe it or not. And the F-18 replacement, we have a competition going on, and that's been a bit challenged. We have five contesters. We have uh, Super Hornet and F-35 from the United States, uh, Jas Gripen from uh, Sweden, Typhoon uh, from UK and Rafael from, from uh, France. Decision will be made beginning of 2021 uh, so that we have bird planes and, and uh, uh, limited uh, operational capability 2027, somewhere, something like that. Uh, the challenge has been that this competition is very tra transparent, and, and especially with the United States, I think Lockheed Martin and Boeing has uh, obviously used to, well, let's say they, don't haven't, they haven't been uh, forced to sell their products because everybody has been queuing up behind the, behind the door. Can we buy your, your stuff because it's so great? Uh, we are going around and saying, you know, prove us that F-35 is as good as you claim it to be. And that's been somewhat of a shock. But, uh, it will be interesting what the end result be. I really, really, really hope that uh, it will be a US, US version. We, as I said, we do a lot of cooperation. We cooperate with NATO. We are, we are NATO partner partner. We have some proof in the UN. We participate in different EU, EU defense capabilities. We have a Nordic cooperation going on. And then we have bilateral cooperation with, with the United States and Sweden. But the bilateral cooperation with the United States is the most important thing we are doing currently. And it's, it's very deep nowadays. We exercise together. We exercise, exercise all the services exercised with the US troops, either in Finland or areas close, close to us. We procure a lot of material from the United States. We have currently 69 cases. It's worth $1.8 billion open uh, procurement. On, ongoing with the United States. And we also support each other in R&D, research and development. Uh, 
we being a more small nation, there are limited, limited capabilities we can do given R and D. But there's one field where we are pretty good, and it's Arctic. You know, living in uh, Finland is in the same level as Alaska. Then you look where the population lives. Lives we are the most Nordic northern country in the world. Uh, all the infrastructure, everything has been has been built uh, for cold weather. We have second biggest icebreaker fleet in the in the uh, world. And for example, U.S. Navy says that that Finland is the fourth most important R&D partner to U.S. Navy. And it's not because our Finnish Navy would have a lot of capabilities. Uh, they have some, but it's our industry and academia who has a lot of Arctic know-how and, and maritime, especially maritime operations in Arctic regions are somewhere we can give some support. So. And then we do also some other uh, intelligence and operational operational cooperation, and also operate in the in the same opera, uh, same deployments, especially in the Middle East. And thing for us with the U.S. is that uh, most important is that, the, for example, when we procure equipment for the United States, it's always FMS foreign military sales procurement. And thing with FMS is that that in FMS deal, United States government guarantees that two things. First, that the capability is what we have agreed upon. So if it's not, it's not Finnish Defense Forces going to Boeing and say that, hey, these things don't do what they promised to do. It's the US government who, who says, hey, these, those things don't do what they're supposed to do. And you can bet that the US government has a little bit more leverage than, than Finnish government in these issues. Another thing is that the US government in, uh, guarantees that the capability is uh, usable in all conditions, including wartime, which is pretty important when you talk about, talk about procuring a new fighter plane, that somebody guarantees, in this case, U.S. government, that you know, no, no, no matter what happens, we will guarantee that you have spare parts and, and other support that the planes will be flying. We talk about Finnish model in Finland, and, and it's, it's a comprehensive security. It's a whole of nation, you. I always often say that Finland doesn't have a defense force. Finland is a defense force because so many people are inside uh, and participating in it. General conscription is important because it gives us the manpower and girl power nowadays uh, we need. Uh, it helps to keep us the willingness to defense and give us the large reserves we need. But it's something, uh, if you Especially in Europe, if you talk about conscript, uh, conscript system, it's normally the professional professional guys uh, are very skeptical about it. Skeptical about the capabilities, uh, how good are these guys, and and what's it really producing. Uh, we put a lot of effort on the training of these these uh, our conscripts and our reserves. When young guy and girl or girl comes comes to the army, in second week we give him a weapon and he starts shooting, school shooting. Third week we start combat shooting. In U.S. Marine Corps, I heard that it's, it's uh, week eight when they get weapons. So we put a lot of, lot of effort in eight weeks of basic training. Uh, normally, you shoot 500 rounds, live rounds, just to get the proficiency with your weapon, because we, in Finnish terms, uh, individual shooting skills are important, and so on. We've been in operations with our professional forces. We've seen that uh, in Afghanistan, in fighting, we have no problems. Our guys are as good as professional guys uh, when it goes, goes to war fighting skills. And especially when you are fighting in the Finnish soil, we have an edge. And nowadays, when, when the US 2nd Cavalry uh, comes annually to exercise it to Finland, and they always say, and it's not, 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 not only the, the battalion which are participating in exercise, it's also up to General Hodges say that 
these guys learn so much exercising here with our reservists and conscripts. Uh, because I said, we have kept up the capability to go to combined arms fight as an underdog against superior enemy. And we have exercised that ever since Second World War. So we know that, that uh, you don't stop in front of minefield because if you stop there for 10 minutes, the artillery will kill you. You either go through with the mechanized breaching or you go around, but you don't stop. You don't talk to radio until you have contact contact with the enemy because the EW will kill you uh, before that and so on and so on. And we train our guys that we go to juggler. You know, the best place to fight Russians is when you are in close fight because they, they can't use the heavy firepower they have. But we also have to rely on some high technology, uh, technological systems to be relevant also in the modern battlefield and international cooperation and bilateral cooperation are very important part when we are building these capabilities, learning how to use these uh, modern systems well and learning from uh, other countries.